this is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. My guest this week is Doug Maddow. Doug's talent at the keyboard has entertained local audiences and beyond for decades. His longest standing gig was with the uber-popular The Dweebs. He currently plays in multiple groups, including the Jive and Ivans and Mad Pipes, in theater productions, and is the musical director at a couple Faribault churches. Doug also plays guitar and sings. He's an in-demand musician that you have likely heard tickle those ivories if you've taken in music in these here parts. I've been trying to get this busy man on Musician Talk for over a year, and I'm so very pleased to finally have the chance to interview him. It's time to find out more. Let's talk with Doug Maddow. Welcome, Doug, to Musician Talk. Thank you, Pauline. Great to be here. I'm happy to finally have you on. I've been wanting to have you on forever. I've been busy. You have been very, very busy. What we start out with on Musician Talk, as those of you that listen know, is your musical journey. So I'm just going to sit back and take a listen to, um, you know, when you started playing and, and kind of take us into your professional career. Uh, Happy to retell the story. I don't think about it very often, but uh, when my mom was alive, I heard about it quite frequently. So I started playing piano before I can remember. My mom has a photo of me at two and a half sitting at the old upright piano. She said she was was in the kitchen uh, doing mom things, and she heard from the other room the theme from Haydn's Surprise Symphony. No. Dun, 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 dun. And she runs into the other room, and I'm sitting there picking it out. And so she she knew she had a musician at that point. And uh, I played, uh, you know, as, as often as I could. I'd crawl up on the bench. Uh, Waltzing Matilda was one of my next numbers, I'm told. You were so young. That is amazing. Your little fingers, how did they even do it? <laughs> at about age four and a half, my dad was overheard to say... Uh, this, this kid has to learn the classics because my dad was a big classical music fan. And so he found a piano teacher in town, and at four and a half I started taking lessons. And uh, shortly after that, uh, they insisted my sister join us. So for three, four years, I was taking lessons from Mrs. Zilke and Faribault. Um, about that time, a couple of interesting things. Um, I was prone to migraine headaches, and about once a month, I would get these horrible dizzy spells. As a child? And as a child, and I would have to stay home from kindergarten or first grade, and my mother would bring the only radio in the house up to the bedroom, so I didn't have to lay there suffering without radio, and she'd turn on the local station news and, and, and current events, and as soon as she left the room, I would switch to WDGY, the local rock station. And so I was there at the beginning of rock and roll in 56, 57, learning these things. Um, it turned out that I suffer from, or I don't know about suffer, I had a condition called synesthesia, where you can, uh, you, your senses get mixed. And I was hearing notes as colors, and I still remember that, you know, A-flat was light brown, middle C was green, E-flat was like a turquoise, B-flat was blue. Wow. I've heard of this. I've never, I guess I didn't know this about it. And it is, it is comorbid with migraines. Oh. 
so that explained a lot. I outgrew the, the migraines and the synesthesia. But musically, um, I'd been listening to rock and roll, and when I got to the piano, I tried to cover every part of the music. That was my thing. And I was playing the bass and the drums and the melody and, and the leads, you know, and I would tinkle away on a guitar lead on the piano, and, and in my head, I was hearing guitar. And so I, I, I learned to be uh, a full-spectrum uh, performer. Yeah, no kidding did that set you up for, for doing the things that you did later in life. And it, 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 it did. I did have to unlearn some of that when I started working with bands because you're not expected to do everything. They don't want you to because you're stomping all over everybody, right? You're, you're in somebody else's space. But uh, I, I didn't really take to, uh, to, to modern jazz, and uh, I, I stopped when I was in my teens, stopped trying to cover stuff that didn't resonate with me and just decided I would play things my way. And besides covering rock songs, I learned how to improvise because some of my ideas were better than the stuff I was hearing on record. <laughs> so were you, uh, when did you start playing with bands? How old were you? Uh, my first uh, paying gig, I was uh, 16. I was a, a young senior in high school. And there were some older fellows who had put together a little rock band to play uh, roadhouses and bars around Faribault. And they they managed to get me in, even though I was underage. And unfortunately, the owners were selling me beer, even though I was underage. So we were playing three-night uh, gigs, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights at States. Twin Oaks is what was the official name out where, near the, where the drive-in was in Faribault. And so, yeah, as a senior in high school, I was playing three nights a week. I was getting $15 a night and paying back uh, probably 10 of it in, in a bar tab, <laughs> drinking, drinking three, three, two grain belt beer and Slim Jims for a dime apiece. <laughs> To backtrack a little bit, I also took lessons, not just from the woman in Faribault, but eventually from Marie Jensen, a professor at Carleton. And so my dad would drive my sister and I every Saturday morning to Northfield from Faribault. And the deal was we had to listen to uh, classical music on the way up. And then after the lesson on the way home, we could turn on the rock and roll station. Was incentive. That's nice. Sounds like you had a really uh, a very involved father in, in oh, music. Yeah, definitely. No, that he came to all our performances. Nice. That's really great. So you started professionally playing at sixteen, um, and what what did you do from there? I went off to college. I joined a jazz band, but I didn't really fit well into it because jazz was not my thing. Mm -hmm. um, I covered it, sure. and we made a little money. Um, I also played uh, restaurants and, and uh, bars when I was in college. That was my walking around money. And so I would take a cab from campus out to Alex's Crown Restaurant in Appleton, Wisconsin, and play for three or four hours. I would put, put my homework up on the music stand and read. <laughs> oh, no. No way. My English or my anthropology assignments while I was playing... <laughs> Okay, 
there's something going on with your brain. It's that is incredibly awesome. You have to you multi. Read. You have to multitask when <laughs> no, you're a not busy, busy college can student. Multitask like that, though, Doug. I mean, my goodness, that is incredible. Wow. Very cool. So, and that's really cool that during college that you're, the way that you um, made your walking money, as my father used to call it, is to play music as opposed to, you know, slinging burgers at the Macadies or however you say that McDonald's. Right, right. It paid a little bit better and and it had some class to it. And probably was, I would think, a lot more fun. Yeah, it was fun. It It was a lot like work. Yeah. But, you know, occasionally somebody would come and make a request and I'd get some big tips. And There you go. Yeah, I had whole sets of uh, entire Broadway shows because my parents had those LPs when I was growing up. So I knew all the Rogers and Hart and Rogers and Hammerstein and Lerner and Lowe and I could do that. Wow. And I had fake books. I remember they cost me $10 a piece and it was like, you know, 3,000 songs in each book. And fake books just have the melody line and the chords. And the chords, right. right. So I learned to work from charts, and, and I still much prefer to do that. You then read, read music? Well, I can read music just fine. You right, know. but you prefer to have a chart. But it's just easier to do charts. You know, my thing in recent years has been, uh, will, you, will you play for my wedding? Sure, I'd be happy to. Right. Uh, we have this special song we'd like my aunt to sing. Well, it's great. Do you have sheet music? Well, no, but it's on YouTube. I said, great. And so I'll listen on YouTube and then chart the song out in key positions. One, four, five, six minor. And then when I meet with the vocalist, we'll figure out what key they're doing it in. And then I'll substitute the key notation nice. for the chord position. And uh, I'll be able to accompany them, even though they've never seen sheet music for it. Let's describe that a little bit further, what you're talking about, putting numbers to chords. So if it's in C, 1 would be C, 3 would be E, 5 would be G. It's where your fingers, you know, where the notes are on the piano. And so if he has just, if Doug would have just one written down, and 1, 3, 5, let's say, then he would know if it's in C, it's C, E, G. If it's in D, it would be D, F, sharp. <laughs> And a, yes. and and so on. So that doing doing it in a notation style makes it really really flexible. If you don't know what key you're going to be in, right? Because you don't know what the vocalist's range is necessarily right. until right. you meet them and try it out. So it just saves me a step. And vocalists can be very fickle with what, where they are singing on any given Yes, but if, I, if I'm the <laughs> if I'm the accompanist, then uh, I am at their service. Night. And, and, oh, I love that. They get to make yeah, spoken as a vocalist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They get they get the to choose to make well, themselves sound best and, and then it's my job to help. And you are so such a terrific accompanist. We're gonna talk more about that later. Uh, but it's time to dig in to our first song that we're gonna play that um, you chose and sent to me. This is and you perform this live. It's called If the Devil Danced. And uh, tell us a little bit about this song. Uh, it was a country song. Uh, Joe Diffie is the name of the artist. And years ago, uh, I took a little mini vacation in southern Missouri and took a side trip to Branson and uh, did, didn't have the budget to go to the fancy theaters. But it turns out Joe Diffie had a theater in Branson that was affordable. Nice. And I got to see him live and uh, enjoyed this song. And then years later, realized that I could probably play this. And so I learned it and made it part of my act, depending on where I was playing, if it would fit. 
And then I got the sad news that Joe had died fairly young. Hmm. And so uh, I recorded this. Nice. As, as a bit of a tribute. Awesome. So this is my guest today, Doug Meadow, performing If the Devil Danced. Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. You just heard my guest, Doug Meadow, perform If the Devil Danced. He performed it live and as a tribute to Joe Diffie, who wrote the song. All right, I, I like, really love this song. It's got so much life to it. It's just, uh, it's, it's honky-tonk, would you say? Yeah, kinda? kind of. Kind of. Yeah, and uh, it makes you want to just smile, I guess, and dance. So both those things, and you sound great, Doug. Thank you. Thank you. We heard a little bit about your professional life before we played the song, and so I want to get back to that and some of the groups that you played with throughout the years. Um, if you just want to take me through some of the highlights, um, and you better mention the band I was in if it's a highlight. That's all I could say. <laughs> so it's, it's Doug has played, but I've played, I've sung with Doug playing in many different um, iterations, you know, from cabaret to, to full bands. So tell us some of your longer standing uh, I, I wish I'd have made a list chronologically. Uh, yeah, I know there's been a lot. Uh, Okay, so I played with uh, 
rock cover bands, uh, country bands that that uh, worked uh, here and there, but never quite as much as I wanted. Um, we would put bands together for one single prom experience right. <laughs> and then disband. Um, there were a few of them that lasted uh, a couple of years, and that was very satisfying. Um, part of that experience involved learning uh, to be efficient, to buy the right equipment, to make sure that it was easy to transport, easy to set up, um, and then easy to... to put into the sound systems and give yourself and the sound guy the control that you needed. Oh, that's it so was huge. just just basically getting, you know, road experience. Right. Um and then uh in the early 90s uh I was uh I was at a a party that my union had put on and they had hired a band called the Nerds out of western Wisconsin. And uh, they were a really fun band, and, yeah. and I was enjoying the, the party. And during one of their breaks, I spoke to the leader and to the keyboard player and said, can I sit in for one? And they said, absolutely. So I ended up sitting in for a couple of numbers, and everybody had a good time. And then I left, and I found out that the uh, leader of the band had then pulled the audience to find my name and phone number so that he could get in touch with me. Because it turns out he was about to do some uh, personnel changes, including uh, firing his keyboard player. Okay, so, that was meant to be. That was meant to be. So yeah. in, in 92, I was asked to go to Somerset, Wisconsin and kind of be auditioned. And part of that process was uh, sitting in the studio. They played one of their originals. And I chartered it out while I was listening to it and showed them and said, yes. I can chart. I, no, I can play this with you now. <laughs> Let, let's go. And so I was auditioning them as they were auditioning me. And sure. we decided it was a good fit. And they, they gave me the lay of the land, which is we play three nights a week, uh, every week, because this is my living, the owner said. And uh, you're expected to be there the only night we or only week we take off is Wisconsin fishing op opener. So I was <laughs> not working Christmas, not not Thanksgiving, but I, the fishing. I was opener. working. I was working full time for the state of Minnesota, and raising teenagers. Oh, and goodness. back then, I was running every day, you know, three and a half miles a day, and taking care of a house and yard. And then I added this nearly full time band gig. Yes, well. So I played for nearly seven years. The nerds changed their names to the Dweebs. They're still happening. Look at the website, thedweebs.com. They're still just as much fun as they were then. Um, but I was all over the Midwest. Oh, what you know. fun. And you were playing, and playing like you said before, you were playing enough with those other bands. And this one, you got your full. Right. Your this was actually the only, only uh, band that I made real money with. I was on a percentage. So the better the band did, the better I did. So there was incentive to mingle with the audience during breaks and make friends and, and get people really coming back. Great. So yeah, that was, and then uh, I gave the band a year's notice wow. when I'd had enough. <laughs> That's a long notice. That's very generous of you. <laughs> yeah. And then after you quit, after you left the band, did you go back and sit in? Uh, or pick with, up with, them? Sub with them actually Mike called me one time his keyboard player had broken his leg and he wanted oh, no. he wanted me to come play one night and I said no I'm not going to learn the 
updated act for one night. Right. If you want me, I'll play the entire weekend. He said, that'll be fine. Oh, nice. So just like the old days, I played a Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. Nice. Yeah, in, including a, a big ballroom, the Medina. So, yeah. Um, we talked about a little bit about accompanying and uh, what a great accompanist you are. Uh, what does it take? I mean, be able to switch keys. That That's kind of key for an accompanist, I guess, being able to... Play, play the same song in different keys, but what are some of the attributes that well, make a really great accompanist? Knowing your vocalist, uh-huh. you know, getting a feel for whether you need to lead them uh-huh. or follow them. Nice. You what know, does that mean? There are some amateur vocalists who really need to be led. Got it. It's not like I'm playing the melody along with them, which is not, not good practice. Right. But giving them the, the keynote for a line Yes. So that they start on the right note, things like that. And, and, you know, some vocalists need that, and then they do a fine job. There's others who are, you know, independently uh, competent, and then you just simply have to follow them, stay out of their way on the lines, play uh, something interesting between the lines that, that moves the song forward yes. or enhances the feeling that they're going for, and uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure it can be taught, but I'm not sure I could teach it to anybody. Right. I just kind of know how it's done. Well, I think that experience, too, just, just is the teacher for something like that. And, you know, um, and also an innate ability, absolutely. And I think it's very important what you said about knowing what to play where. Uh, you know, giving them space when they're singing and then playing something interesting and, and that moves things forward between lines. And that, you think that that's simple, but really it, that goes for the bass player, that goes for the drums, that goes for, yeah, that goes for everything kind of in the band. That You, you don't start in, introducing different melodies while, or, or, you know, improvising under when the person's singing because it just, it, A, isn't what the song calls for probably, but it's just messy. Right? right, it just does not work, and and that doesn't seem to be as easy as it sounds um, to no. get somebody that really, really does that well most, as you do. Most songs have uh, an unobtrusive pattern underneath the vocals yeah. that you're not necessarily aware of as a listener, but you'd miss it if it wasn't there. Right. So you're doing that pattern consistently, and then on top of that, you're doing. Uh, you know, embellishments between the vocal lines, right? You know, or or reflecting what was just done in an interesting way. So, well, this is a great segue to the next song. So, I had mentioned that Doug <clears throat> has been in different bands with me, and uh, one of the bands was called Dame Station. Well, you weren't really in Dame Station; it was three women. But when we did our album, we brought in our musician friends mm-hmm. to to fill out the the sound of the of the songs. Uh, later, we were in Late Arrival, which was kind of the same people as Dame Station. But anyway, uh, this song was written by Dame Station back in the early 2000s, late, nine, I don't know, we recorded it in 2000, I guess. And Doug is playing piano on this, and you just listen. It's not technically, you know, it's not going all over the place. It's not like virtuosic piano playing. But what it is, and this is what most bands want, is it's so tasty. It's just so tasty. That, and listen for what we were talking about. 
um, how he's playing between our lines and how it enhances the song and um, really makes it special. So this is Doug Maddow playing piano on Dame Station's Hero of My Soul. His arms, they held her tight. He spoke of the heartache, the turmoil, the fight. The time together now is filled with pain and sorrow. They need to let go.
This is Musician Talk, and I am your host, Pauline Jennings. My guest today is Doug Maddow, who you just heard play Hero of My Soul, which he recorded with Dame Station in 2000. Along with Doug on keys, this track includes Pam Roth and me on vocals, Lucy Liu on guitar, Steve Jennings on drums, Gordon Oshwald on bass, and Mike Hildebrand on fiddle. So tasty and so beautiful and so, I mean, Matt did such a great job uh, of at, at Wild Sound up in the cities, um, engineering that and, and the sound that he put on that piano, particularly for this piece, is so tinkly. And that might sound like a bad word, but for me, it's not. It's just they're so crisp, clear piano. So it's what the song needed. It's what it needed. So thank you, Doug. Um, all right, Let, it's time to get to our quote of the week, and the quote this week is by. Um, uh, Amadeus Mozart, and it is, he's actually said it two different ways, I found. So one way is, silence is very important. The silence between the notes are as important as the notes themselves. And then he also said, the music is not in the notes, but in the silence between them. What do you think of that? What comes to your mind when you hear that? Well, those quotes? what comes to mind is in my early days of, of beating on an acoustic piano, uh, maybe in a, a middle school setting with uh, my new friends who had just discovered electric guitars and amplifiers. <laughs> and I wasn't amplified. I didn't own an electronic keyboard. And so I would just have to bloody my fingers pounding on the... Sure. And then there'd be a drummer who, you know, had more skins than he really needed. And everybody was just, uh, you know, playing their heads off. And it was exciting, sure. but it wasn't particularly musical. And then over the years, um, I learned uh, how, how important it is to have separation, uh, which really works best either at lower volumes or with a great sound man. Right. And the musicians can help with this process by doing what we call putting some air in it. Letting it breathe. And, and I've told many of my, my uh, musician friends, you know, that I've worked with or, or have been asked to comment on, you know, well, what would you do different? And I said, I would, I would put some air in it. Yeah. You know. Right. What does that mean to you, put some air in it? So. It's the silence between it's, notes. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it's not, you know, I, I could play piano with all 12 fingers, but. It's sometimes better off, you know. Give two extra. Just, just, just uh, you know, hit a bass note and then uh, do a turn in the treble, and yeah. and be done, and and not have to play all the time. Um, I tend to overplay everything, so this has become important to me. It's something that I had to to learn and practice and assimilate. I gotta believe that it's it's um, maybe there's some kind of a push-pull with that kind of idea because if you're playing as you have a lot as, as a solo accompanist or a solo piano, not even accompanying anybody, just play piano, it's a different thing. The silence that you need is different there than you need, I would think, with when you're playing with other musicians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that the silence is maybe giving somebody else uh, their chance to play as opposed to just letting the music breathe. Right. It's it's a it's fascinating, and I think also, of course, it translates to our lives, doesn't it? The silence is golden sometimes, isn't it? 
But recently I've done a couple of, of jobs for uh, assisted living facilities where you, you know, I'm not allowed to sing because of COVID. I have to be masked, sure. and they just want to hear some nice piano music. And then I'm giving them full-spectrum piano. Right. I mean, it becomes interesting because I can play loud, and I can play soft, and I can play full, and I can play sparse and, nice. and, and do it that way. So, you know, the... The wall of sound coming at people is sometimes, you know, very dramatic. But by the same token, just you know, having having something that that's that's uh, sparse and and you know, kind of poignant in its uh, simplicity is is very dramatic. Also, it is. And then going back and forth between those things makes for. Uh, a 45-minute show at Assisted Living that gets a great response. Oh, that's great. So. And I'm glad that you're doing that because that's uh, there's parts of the brain that are so stimulated by um, right by music and, and maybe parts of those brains aren't getting stimulated in those homes. So awesome. And now, Doug, it's time for Best Gig, Worst Gig. And I bet you've had a bunch of both. Um, and usually, but worst gigs isn't has any, doesn't have anything to do with your t- talent, but uh, you know technical difficulties almost or, or weather it could be, or in my case, it was my performance. Well, but whatever. Let, let, let's go with uh, best gigs because I have a couple of I, I thought I thought about this, and, okay. and there were a couple of, of things that, that stuck in my mind. One of them was back in my nerd slash dweeb days. The band played. Every uh, rutabaga fest in Cumberland, Wisconsin, for nice. decades, they were the closing act on Sunday nights, and uh, always extremely well received because we were so much fun. It wasn't me as much as the the three singers out front, but but uh, you know I was a part of that, and there was this one year where uh, we. We we somehow got transported to the gig in a limousine. I'm not sure why. Mm, nice. And and as we approached the gig, we found ourselves approaching the parade, going on <laughs> Sunday afternoon. And so the limousine slipped into the parade route, <laughs> and we quickly put on our costumes in, and then waved to the crowd. Oh, and then you know, two hours later, we were on stage playing to you know probably fifteen hundred people who were just wrapped and nice. it just it really felt good i'm um, so i think of that one and then also i took a foray i took a foray back into uh theater when i was in high school i was the musical uh, director and you know chief accompanist for a few musical plays and then i took to 25 30 years off and then hmm. i i got asked to do forever plaid which is a fun play that uh you know uh, uses the popular music of the 50s uh, as the basis, you know. Yep. Incorporates other people's songs into the the drama. And uh, I was asked to do this, and I said, sure, you know, I'll, I'll try being mm-hmm. back in the theater. And they gave me the uh, score, the which was basically charts, Sure, because it's all popular music, right? Well, yeah, and the, 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 the uh, and it was handwritten, but it was mostly just chords, and then they would put uh, <laughs> a, a couple of signature turns, 
in for the right hand to play. But mostly I just had to invent it as I went along, which is my thing. I mean, right, I can exactly. do this. And there were four talented vocalists, and we rehearsed for seven weeks, and then we did seven performances, and it was just delightful. Oh, good. And we threw in a bass player and a drummer just in the last three days of rehearsal. Yeah. But other than that, it was just me. So that was really good. Theater likes to do that. Just tech week, you bring in your musicians. Yeah. Just, you know, you got to hang. You got to be good <laughs> enough to do it. Oh, that's great. Um, worst gig ever. Yes. All right. Let's have All it. Right. I'm ready. <laughs> so, so this was with the dweebs. And uh, in the summer, uh, on Saturday nights, there was an auction effect going on to buy our services. And we were playing community shows, you know, for three, $4,000 a night. Wow, nice. And, and, you know, the owner made his living at this, and so he would just, you know, take the, the best offer. Wow, never heard of that. So, so a, uh, a couple was having a wedding reception, and they outbid all these communities oh, no. for a summer, a Saturday night summer show. We got to have the dweebs. And we were given directions. It was a pole barn out in the country that was unfinished. Oh, no. The pole barn was unfinished on our side. There was a, uh, a, a finished section on half of it. But we were playing in the unfinished section with a mud floor. It had been raining that day. They put down, they, they put down the pallets for the band to set up on. Oh, no, 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 no. Did they tie the pallets together or anything, or were they all separate? Oh, my goodness. And, and, oh, and no. so, you know, guitar stands and keyboard stands, we had to work around the cracks in the pallets. Yeah. But we got all set up because these people had bought a Saturday night, and we were going to do a dweeb show to make them all happy. And we got set up, and we did our sound check, and we started the show, and we were playing to maybe two or three people with this muddy floor, mm. and there was there was nobody there, but we saw there were you know a hundred cars parked out in the field. It's mm. like where the hell is everybody? And so we went on break, and it turns out the finished section of the pole barn had a big screen TV where everybody was in that room watching NASCAR. No. No. Okay. That <laughs> and that's how that show wrong. went. That we played two wrong. we played two more sets to maybe three children and five adults. <laughs> wow. In the mud. <laughs> if I was the one paying for that band, I would have turned off that TV and said, "Get in there and appreciate what what I got for you guys." Wow, that is not good. So yeah, that that one was memorable. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing those, Doug. Um, to wrap up here, I'm just wondering, uh, upcoming gigs, what you got? Who are you playing with? I'm playing with Jive and Ivan and the Kings of Swing. Okay. Uh, Ivan was my sophomore uh, English teacher. Yeah, so I've known him for a long, long time. No we kidding. we thank the world of each other. Yeah. And he had brought me in as a guest performer once in a while when the venue merited it and he could afford it. And then he brought me on full time uh, a few years ago. Nice. So I'm playing swing music with Ivan. Uh, I have a duet with Barbara Piper mm -hmm. uh, called Mad Pipes. 
It's such a great name. Mad, okay, o- Mad, Dog. Mad Old Piper. Yes, and I love it. And then Mad Pipes because name. she has yeah, she <laughs> amazingly sing. good vocals. Yes. Yeah, and so we're doing that uh, occasionally when we can find the right rooms, and we're looking for a little more work because it's not too much trouble to set up. Right, right. You know, it's, it's a nice just, duo. It's a, it's a duet. Barb plays guitar. I play keyboards. We both sing a little bit. And I can attest to the overwhelming amount of talent in that duo. That's amazing. Thank you, Pauline. You are welcome. I'm also playing for two Methodist churches in Faribault. Okay. I go to one about 8.15 in the morning, rehearse the choir, maybe do special music with somebody, and then the service starts at 9. By 10 after 10, I'm in my vehicle driving a mile and a half to another Methodist church where I do another service for them. And then I'm home by 11.30, quarter to 12, and I've got the rest of my Sunday free. But in the meantime, I've inspired some Methodists. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's uh, there's so many musicians that work Sunday mornings because that's a a consistent uh, right. and usually pretty okay paying gigs. And so I have to do quite often these um, these interviews, pre-record them, because people, are, musicians are busy on Sunday mornings, and that's what we're doing here, right at my house. So how lovely Doug came up to, to do this with me. Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And um, do you have, if somebody wants to know where either any of these groups are playing, is it like Facebook? Jive and Ivan's on Facebook. Jive and Ivan has, has a website, uh, Bar- okay. Barbara I think that's her website. Okay. And she has several acts that she's involved in, but you should be able to catch Mad Pipes also. Okay. Um, Good. All of these groups have canceled gigs recently. It's been... Uh, challenging yeah. you know to to get something on the books and then for whatever reason usually covid these days right. and just have to cancel or postpone but uh you, you just have to respond to current conditions and do the best you can that's right remain flexible and rem- right and and don't get discouraged exactly and that's a great place to end don't get discouraged folks absolutely enjoy your life no matter if you have to cancel your gigs or not um so thank you so much, Doug, for being on Musician Talk, and it was really great to finally get you on and, and hear about your life, your musical life, and your musical journey. So thank you. You make it easy to be a guest, Pauline. Aww. Thank you for that. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Many thanks to Doug for sharing his music and his fascinating musical journey with us today. Thanks always to Wendy Nordquist and to you for listening to Musician Talk on The One, K-Y-M-N. You have a superb day. Thank you.